you're going. What? How fast you're going. I don't know. Ten? Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast. If you're easily offended, get your panties twisted into a knot. Leave now. Run in your safe space. Get your little cloth for your tears. All the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and his guest and do not reflect the opinions of any local or government agency. Welcome to Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. I'm your host, Iceman, and we're going to come back with you with part two. We're going to introduce, well, I don't have to introduce them. I'm not going to bring them up yet. We've got to do the housekeeping. So, y'all know we got uh, Sergeant Jim W. from uh, last Sunday. We're going to do part two, more serious episode. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Let's get the housekeeping out the way. You know, if you want a great cigar, you go to mypatriotcigar.com. Use promo code MOTORCOP15. Get 15% off your entire order. Go to $100 or more. I think you get free shipping. And uh, it's a it, there's some good cigars, people. If you, you, you want, really like a good cigar, go get you one. I think they also have a thing on there where you can, uh, if you want to order one cigar or something like that, and you send it to the uh, troops that are deployed in active duty, you can do that also. So you can check that out. If you ever want any merchandise, MOTORCOP merchandise, you can either go to the MOTORCOP chronicles uh etsy store or you can go to the website motorcopchronicles.com go down all the links for everything are at the bottom you can go to the store that way if you uh really like listening to me and the other guys you can uh join the patreon get the extra episodes uh you see the pictures videos uh i put a whole bunch of stuff up there text i'm pretty active in in the patreon there's a option you can try it out for uh, seven days for free, and then if you don't like it, just go about your business. Uh, helps me keep my overhead down here, also. You know, I like sharing extra information I don't put out to the general public. Other than that, other than that, uh, still gonna keep putting out the free stuff, also, because I know times are tight. Also, I'm gonna uh, shout out the full crew members like we do. We have Mr. John Demink. He's a full crew member. We got Dan Carlson with Burley Boards. They just uh, opened their uh, brick and mortar up. Y'all go check them out on website and stuff. They make great uh, like cutting boards and all kind of other stuff. We got T Bird. We got Mr. Jim Procrant from the Short Track Pod, Short Track Guys Podcast. If y'all like uh, racing, we got Mr. Hobby Hobson, our uh, truck driving friend. We got Mr. Blake Walker. We got A.A. Ron from uh, I Had to Say It Podcast. We got Z. Palmer. We got Mr. Roy Spaulding. Roy with the S. Roy's in a picture earlier. Uh, he dyed his hair blonde. Big blonde-headed dude now. We got JoJo, our favorite girl from Down Under. We have Kaylee Norris and Natasha A.L., two girls from the state of Washington. And, of course, the OG crew member, Melissa Holstein. Always happy to have y'all and appreciate y'all doing what y'all do. So, without any further ado, we're going to get the old sergeant on here. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get a little serious tonight, folks. So, I uh, hope y'all enjoy it. How you doing? I'm good, man. Glad to be back. We're glad to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I told you, and everybody else can hear, 
I'm not, I don't push or pride or nothing. So we're going to talk about more serious stuff, which is more personal stuff with this uh, retired uh, law enforcement professional career and his uh, personal business, some of it. So I don't push. Let him talk about what he wants to talk about and tell as much as he wants to talk about. But stuff that needs to be said because in this line of work, you know, we get, we get a lot of stressors, emotional stressors and stuff like that, and we don't like to talk about it. Yep, it is. Uh, yeah, and you know, um, so I'm just going to start off. You know, I was a policeman in Michigan for 20 years. Um, 13 of those years, I worked in the inner city, and then the last seven, um, I worked for a tribal police agency in Southwest Michigan, and I was attached to the county on their tag team. So I was an operator of the SWAT team while I was working there too. So, um, so like 2000, I don't know. I've had, there was a lot of shit rolling around in my head right now, but I'm just going to start when I can remember when I started showing symptoms of post-traumatic stress. So 2016, um, I had shoulder surgery and I was off work and, you know, I was off work for probably two months and my drinking picked up a lot during that time. And while I was off, they had a shooting at the courthouse in St. Joe, Michigan and two, two uh, guards or bailiffs were killed. And both of them were retired police. One was, uh, his name was uh, Zangaro, and he was retired post commander from the state police. And the other guy's name was Ron Kinzel, and he was a retired uh, township cop. And there was a prisoner that got a gun off one of the deputies. He shot Ron, he shot uh, Zangaro, and killed him. And um, police responded. It was an active shooter situation. And uh, suspect was killed pretty soon after that but you know i was on a tag team and the tag team got deployed uh activated and i couldn't go you know so i started drinking more because i felt guilty you know um so i went back to work and um the drinking continued you know i was i was pretty bad off you know i'd I'd had a pretty tumultuous career i've been laid off three times in my career which is which yeah. is crazy because me and him <laughs> discussed this before. It's like uh, down south and stuff where, you know, I'm, I've never heard of cops being laid off ever. Yeah, never. I mean, it happened here in the 80s, I guess. Like state police had a layoff. But, you know, I, in 05, the market crashed and I was working in the Detroit area. And um, so I got pink slipped and then I got recalled. And then I got pink slipped again in 06. And now the police department that I work for doesn't even exist anymore. It's uh, got taken over by the Oakland County Sheriff's Department. And, you know, that department at one time, Pontiac Police, that we were, you know, 200 plus officers. So we were pretty decent sized, you know, city agency. Was it because, like I said, when I know, like in Detroit, they had the automobile crash and 
companies crash and all that other stuff. But because of yep. that, because of the industry of car, the automobile companies crash and stuff, the, so many cities almost just disappeared because they couldn't afford anything anymore? Yeah, they just dry up, you know, because, um, well, like in Pontiac, General Motors was there. Uh, Daimler Chrysler had their world headquarters in Auburn Hills. And, you know, we had three plants in Pontiac and, um, you know, the housing market crashed. Then the automotive industry crashed and, you know, it was a bad time for Detroit. And I mean, DPD laid off 300 guys uh, at the same time that I was pink slip from, from Pontiac. So, you know, it used to be go, if you couldn't find a police job, you could always go to Detroit. Well, that wasn't the case then, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so then I got pink slipped in 2006 and I was like, man, fuck this. Um, I was looking out of state. Um, but I uh, had a buddy that worked for, um, Ben Harbor city police over on the West side of Michigan, right by Lake Michigan. And so, um, he got me in an interview and, you know, I got in and I worked there for about six, seven years. Um, got pink slip from there, you know? So at that point I'm like, God damn, man, I, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. So the tribe had a position and the tribe was fiscally, you know, sound. And so I went there and, you know, the pay was better. The benefits were good. Um, but the problem with that department was there was a lot of, there was a lot of guys that worked there that hadn't been real cops other places, you know? And so that department was a little bit less hands-on than other agencies. So they didn't get a lot of the experience that guys would get from full-time agencies, you know, traditional agencies. So, mm-hmm. um, so I worked there and, um, you know, the drinking got pretty bad. Um, I was, you know, I was having all the symptoms, man. I was sweating. Um, you know, I was, uh, having nightmares. I had one night I was, I went to work. I call, I come into work and I dress out and, I'm just fucking sweating bullets, man. And I check my heart rate and it's like 160. And my sergeant that I'm relieving, um, Rich, he's like, he was a paramedic. And he's like, man, you might be having a heart attack, bro. You know, let's, let's get you to the ER. So I go to the ER. They hooked me up to the EKG. My heartbeat was irregular. So they fucking sent me to Kalamazoo and I had to spend the weekend in a cardiac unit doing all these tests. So, they did a heart cast and, you know, I had to do a stress test. And, um, at the end of it, the doctor's like, you know, your arteries and shit are clear, man. Like a 21 year old guy, you know, I was probably in my forties at the time. And, um, he said, you know, have you talked to anybody like a mental health professional? And I'm like, why? He's like, because, you know, some of this stuff could be psychological. Sounds like you had a panic attack. Yeah, it was a panic attack. And I would have them every time I went to work. Like every time I went to work and I put my uniform on, I would have this fucking wave of anxiety hit me. And it would take me hours, man, to to come down from it. You know, I would sit in the office, you know, I'd do briefing, send my guys out, and I'd sit there and stare at the fucking computer for two, three hours before I could even bring myself to go out, you know, on patrol. And um, which was not like me, man. I was a fucking hard charger, you know, 
I worked a lot of hard cases. You know, there's people that are doing life in prison right now because of, you know, cases that I put together. And so it was something that I didn't, it was, it was unfamiliar territory for me. I didn't know what to do. And in this line of work, you can't fucking admit that you have a psychological problem or a mental health issue because you, that you're done. They all fucking find a way to get rid of you. Hey, once you get, get slapped with that, uh, that rubber stamp, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're basically they that if they don't just get rid of you, they're gonna they'll transfer you around until you end up quitting because they got you, you know, staring at a evidence locker or filing toothpicks or whatever. Like yeah, that. exactly. You know, exactly. And you know, one of my guys, I, I didn't know about this till after everything went down. Co- comes down, I'll talk about here in a minute. But you know, one of my guys had gone to my chief had a special meeting with him, met with him, met met for lunch someplace. And he told him, he's like, you know, I think, uh, Jim's got some, I think Jim's got PTSD. So the chief's like, you know, blah, 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 talking to him. And he says, he tells him, you know, he sits there, he sweats, he zones out. Um, you know, I'm worried about him. Well, this guy was a young cop and, you know, he didn't understand. He thought he was doing something good. And yeah, so I don't hold him. He just fucked you. He just fucked me, yeah. you know, but, and he knew it and he felt bad and I knew his intentions were genuine. So I don't hold no, you know, ill will against him, but the chief, you know, he took that information and put it in his pocket. And I was a guy that he wanted to get rid of. You know, he came in, I'd been at the department for four years when they brought him in as chief. And he came from one of the local sheriff's departments and, um, you know, I made enemies in my career, man. I was union president for four years and I didn't fucking play nice with the administration like a lot of union reps used to do. Um, so I made some enemies and I, I don't know if that's what, what, why this guy had this grudge with me or what, but you know, I, I can speculate. Well, so, also give a thought, maybe I've noticed, uh, not meaning to interrupt you, but one of the things when you, uh, when you're working for, just say, you know, like I, I went from one department to another department. So when I came to a new department, you know, I started at the bottom, which I knew I would have to. I'm not one of them guys that thinks, oh, well, I got experience. going to start at the top. So, right. I mean, I started out now. I'm in a specialized division. I'm just a regular deputy, but I'm just a specialized division. But, uh, you know, I've mm-hmm. gotten, you know, now I'm, you know, I'm 27 and a half years in now. Right. And, you know. When I came when I came in I had twenty three and a half, so I was working with people, you know, the guy that had me my FTO was two days when when I came to the department because I was already a cop, but uh Right. I mean the guy that was FTO me I mean he only had like eight years in. Mm-hmm. I mean <laughs> Yeah. I mean, but I'm the type of when I go on calls as a backup, I'm backup. Even if right. I, I mean, because I was a supervisor before too, so I'm, you know, I gotta remind myself just stay back. Just not let them handle their call their way. Right. <laughs> maybe he was intimidated because maybe you knew more than him. Yeah, and I think you know that plays a part. Um, and I'd said that to a couple bosses because it pissed me off. But um, I tried to be good with this guy. You know, I tried to I tried to do it differently, and it just was you know, it was all in vain, I guess. But um, so he came in and, you know, he's running around like a fucking Korean general with all his medals and shit on his uniform. And 
you know, the only pin, the only pin I wore in my uniform was my name tag and a slot pin. That was it. So, kind of um, like me, I got my name tag, my badge, and uh, if I'm in regular uniform, not my other one, my motor wings. Yep. Yep. That's it. That's it. That's all you need. So collar brass. Collar brass. Yeah, collar brass. I wore collar brass too. So. You know, things changed. They promoted. I went, I tried to become, I got, I was a sergeant when he came in. Um, he got in his position, ran a process for lieutenant. Um, you know, I tested uh, uh, at the top of the list and I didn't get hired or I didn't get promoted. The other guy got promoted that, you know, tested at the bottom of the list. So, but he was, you know, in there blowing smoke up the chief's ass and stroking his ego. So, you know, I was a night shifter. I wasn't around, I wasn't around the administration. So I wasn't seen or, you know, not that I would have done anything differently if I had been on days, but, you know, I just, I worked nights. So I could they don't, yeah, for the night shift guys, you don't get hurt on the radio by administration or nothing like that. Cause they're at home off at that time. Yep. Yep. So, um, the drinking got pretty bad. Um, having him as a boss, you know, he, he, he became a pretty toxic boss. You know, he was, uh, he, he hated fucking male cops. I don't, I didn't understand that. He had an affinity for female cops. Um, and he would make sure that they got put in positions, you know, got opportunities before the males did. And I remember we had, we hired this female and she was new and she got assigned to one of our satellite um, offices, and we had locker rooms and shit there. Well, she didn't have a locker. They, well, and so that came down on me somehow. So I'm like, you know, he goes, why doesn't she have a locker? Because I was in charge of the field training program. I said, I don't fucking know why she doesn't have a locker. You know, I'm not the lieutenant in charge of that shit. Why don't you go talk to him, you know? <laughs> and so he, he, we, had a, we had a command staff meeting, and he's like, he goes, I, I'll tell you what, this is bullshit. If, if another female officer is assigned and doesn't have a locker, then that one of the male officers is going to be giving up his locker. And I said, that ain't going to fucking happen. Yeah, how, how is that fair? Just because she's a girl? Yeah, just because she's a girl. That's fucking. So you're, you're basically saying that you're going to discriminate based on gender who gets a locker or not, you know? So he showed his colors, man. You know, every time he would posture i just saw i saw right through him like a fucking pane of glass he's probably trying to get all of his pants yeah what makes me think yeah yeah you're probably right you know and who knows he was pretty slippery man he was a slippery dude and you know in my experience it was always guys you know i was a love-hate guy people that loved me or they fucking hated me and i'm still i found that that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, so and I found the guys that hated me or the people that hated me, they were a bad moral character typically anyway. So I didn't give a fuck if they didn't like me or not, you know. And I kind of lumped him into this category. But, you know, it played on my fucking psych, my psychological shit, because, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I've, uh, you know, bounced from three departments, not because of any fault of my own. But, you know, I didn't want to I tried to stick it out, man. I tried to stick it out. You know, he was going to be there for five, six years. I was going to ride that shit out and stay on nights until he left. So that's what I did, you know, and I was an active shooter instructor. So I had, you know, I had a lot of tactical training uh, through SWAT. 
I became, you know, an instructor for active shooter response for patrol, um, active shooter response for schools and businesses. And um, I was also an instructor for rescue task force, which is like if you have an, an, uh, a fluid incident that's happening right now and you've got casualties that we got to get to, then rescue task forces, you stage all your fucking shit, you know, your fire, your EMS, your police, you have a command post. And you're going to send guys into the fucking, you know, hot zone to get these fucking victims. And so we can get them out. But you're also sending guys in, you know, police guys in, SWAT guys in or whatever with, you know, ready to deal with a fucking deadly force situation. So, you know, I had all this training and, you know, I was trying to um, help the department, you know, grow and shit like that. And, um, you know, the last, so we'll fast forward to, uh, 2019. So 2019, my dad had died, uh, in 2018. It, it was almost a year to the day <laughs> that my dad passed away, that this shit all went down. So, you know, the week leading up to, uh, March 8th of 2019, I was in another active shooter instructor school through Fletzy. If people don't know what Fletzy is, it's the federal law enforcement training um, center. And um, I had no fucking car accident one day going to training. There was snowing like a bastard, and this lady fucking lost control. I'm in a marked squad. She fucking smashes into me. You know, and I'm already stressed out from being in the training, and my PTSD is like fucking uh, in hyperdrive. And you know, popping medications, trying to manage it, but none of the shit they were throwing at me was working. You know, giving me shit for like pregnant women, you know, and it's like, man, I'm a fucking 240 pound man. You know, I need fucking something that's going to take down an elephant, not a fucking uh, dog, you know? So I finished the training that day. I'm fucking straight, you know, from training to the liquor store. Fuck it. I'm getting, I got my booze. Um, started drinking, you know, on the way home and Mark Slott, who's going to stop me, you know, that's what I thought. They'll stop you now yeah. if you've seen some of these videos. Oh yeah. Fucking A, you in, know, in Florida so, anyway. I know. So, so I started drinking pretty early that day. Our last day was like practical. So we got out, we got out of training, like, you know, lunchtime. So I started drinking early and I drank all the way into the night and, you know, I was drinking whiskey and beer and whatever the fuck I could get my hands on. And man, you know, the old lady got into it and I fucking lost my shit. You know, I snapped, um, I busted up the house, um, you know, scared the shit out of my kids. You know, I didn't, you know, hit anybody. I didn't beat my, my wife or beat my kids, you know, um, but I scared the shit out of them. And, you know, for a, I snapped out of it for a second and I realized, oh shit, you know, I got to get the fuck out of here. I had this like flight or fight thing going and I decided to flee. So I lost the house. I tried to leave the house. My wife was scared and concerned and she tried to stop me, you know, cause I'm fucked up. And she tries to, she gets in the car in the driver's seat and she won't get out. So, you know, I grabbed her by the wrist and the elbow and I escorted her out like I would anybody else that wouldn't get out of a car. I'd throw her to the ground. I didn't grab her by the hair. I was just trying to leave. So 
I leave drunk as shit, got a gun with me, and she is scared. She doesn't know what to do. And she remembered me telling her many times that I said, you know, if I ever get, she used to give me shit about drinking and driving because I was drink drive all the time. And she was like, I said, you know what? If I got arrested for drinking and driving, they'd have to give me treatment. Let's keep my job. You know, I used to tell her that all the time. But all I got to tell them is I'm an alcoholic, which I fucking was, but I hadn't admitted that yet. And so she calls 911 and she talks to the dispatcher and, uh, you know, t- t- tells them that, you know, I'm sick and I need some help. And, you know, they're grilling her to assault you. I listened to the tapes, you know, um, after the fact. But so they send, they send police to my house. Um, I'm gone at this point. I'm driving to another town to get because none of the fucking liquor stores in my town are open past 11. So I drove to another town to get some booze and then I'm going to go to my buddy Trent's and sleep it off. So, um, I'm driving down the fucking road. I get to the liquor store. I'm talking to Trent. I'm like, all right, man, I'll be there in a little bit. I'm just going to grab some booze and hang the phone up. And I'm sitting in the car and taking a minute. And he calls me right back and he's like, <sighs> he goes, Hey man, where are you? I said, I'm in water bleed. You know, it's a town, Southwest Michigan. And he goes, Joe just called. Joe's one of my guys one of the guys that worked for me and he said, they just put a BOL out for your vehicle for domestic violence and fuck, you know, um, now I'm on the run, you know, I'm like, I didn't know what to think. Dude. I, I was like a fucking criminal, dude. I felt like a fucking fugitive. And so I still went in and bought my whiskey cause that had to happen, you know? And I get in the car and I'm driving down the freeway, waiting to get lit up, you know. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I thought about killing myself, you know. I can't say I didn't because I had the gun in the car, and it would have been an easy way to end it. Um, but I did, you know. And I'm driving up uh, close to where I live, and I told, I'm pulling off the freeway, and another guy calls me. And he's a friend of mine. I worked in Benton Harbor with him, Gerald. And he was working that night uh, for uh, one of the cities, well, cities where I pulled off. And he goes, he goes, hey, man, you won't believe this shit. They just put out a BOL for you, a guy with your name and your car, man. That's some funny shit. I'm like, no, nah, it's me, motherfucker. <laughs> and he's like, oh, really? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I said, I'm fucking sitting at the fruit stand off the freeway. And um, he goes, I'll be right there. So he comes, gets me, and and I break down crying and shit. I'm fucking messed up. I, uh, you know, I hated putting him in that situation, but I felt comfortable with him, you know, because I knew him and I trusted him. And I needed somebody at that point like that. And... I, you know, I haven't told this guy that, but I think he saved my life that night calling me because I think if I had sat there long enough, I probably would have shot myself because I wasn't, you know, in a good frame of mind and I was numbing it, you know, with alcohol and I was just getting more drunk. And so he picks me up. Um, I turn around with my hands behind my back. He's like, no, motherfucker, get in the front seat, you know? <laughs> so I get in the front seat and I'm crying and shit and, I called my chief, you know, 
he answered. He already knew about it because the state police had notified him. And I'm breaking down to him, you know. And so he's like, just, uh, you know, do it, just be quiet, just cooperate, blah, blah, blah. He gave me good advice, even though he was, he'd already, he was already set, he already set the stage for me to fucking be gone, you know. So we go up to the shell station and fucking troopers show up five deep, you know. I'm like, damn. Is that rob a bank and don't remember? <laughs> yeah, man. What the fuck did I do, you know? And Well, you know so, as well as I know, all they're hearing is active duty cop, drunk, yep. domestic violence. It Most, most cops, 99.9% ought to be armed. Yep. We're not like the normal bad guys. We're trained. So, right. So, yeah, we're trained to shoot. Yep. So they, you know, that's probably why it came so deep. Yeah. So these fucking troopers show up and they're all like fresh out of recruit school, man. You know, and I'm, I'm like, fuck, I'm screwed. You know, I don't see one gray hair in the crowd. And, uh, so the troops talking to me and I'm telling them the truth, man. I fucking tell them, you never read me my rights. You never read me my rights. That's an important part because that comes up later. So I'm telling them what happened. And he goes, well, did you assault your wife? And I said, no. Um, he goes, well, what happened? I said, well, she got in the car and I was trying to leave. She was trying to stop me. And before, and I was glad that Gerald called because I was in a car with a gun drunk. If they had caught me that way, it would have been way worse, you know? So they uh, tried, you know, he's talking to me. I tell him, um, you know, she got out of the car. She wouldn't get out. I grabbed her by the arm, you know, I, I didn't forcibly grab her hard or gank her or anything. I just pulled her out, you know, she pulled, she was pulling back. I was pulling out. She came out, you know, I'm stronger than she is. And he was like, well, did she give you permission to touch her? Motherfucker. Are you going to really ask me that kind of question? And, and he's like, well, you know, that's considered assault in the state of Michigan. I said, yeah, well, you know, I get it, but there's circumstances, man. You know, it's not, that wasn't the reason that that that's not the reason that I did it. The reason I did it was because I was trying to leave the situation. I'm trying to do what the fuck we tell people to do every time, you know, <laughs> and I'm getting, so they're like, Oh, you're under arrest, motherfucker. Turn around, put your hands behind your back. Technicality. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at him and, you know, I'm looking at the guy behind me and he's, you know, he's getting a good position to fucking shoot me right in the back, you know? And Gerald's like shaking his head because he's looking at me and I, he could see it on my face, you know, that I was fucking because I always used to say, I'm not going to jail over some bullshit. This, if I go to jail, it's going to be for RNO <laughs> <laughs> resisting and obstructing. But I didn't do that. You know, I, I had more, I used, to I used to make that joke, but I had more respect for these guys, even though they were fucking, you know, kind of they, they blue falcon the fuck out of me, man. But, you know, I, I went along with the program. I, I gave up, you know, so they handcuffed me and I told the guy, you know, that I was sick and that I think I have PTSD and I want to go to the hospital. Well, he took me to the county and they lodged me for domestic. Um, talking, I've got a sweatshirt on that says, you know, such and such county tactical response unit with a fucking, you know, big police item on the chest. You know, I'm going into the county jail as an inmate, you know? <laughs> so 
they uh they fucking pranked me thrown me all through all the shit put me in my own cell you know i knew that i know the sheriff uh personally he took care of me he ran a lot of interference for me on this when the media was trying to get a hold of it because they wanted it bad. They wanted my mug shot. They wanted fucking all the details. They wanted to put it on the news and he, he, he like stonewalled them. So I'll be forever grateful to him for that. But you know, I'm sitting in the fucking tank and they, they hit, I was in there for 22 hours, sobered up in there, got more pissed off in there. Um, so finally fucking one of the jail uh, guards comes and I was supposed to get, they were supposed to do my uh, arraignment in the morning and it never happened. And, you know, now I know it's cause they were trying to keep me in jail and they violated my fucking civil rights cause they posted my bond at $2,500 cash. Never been arrested before. Um, don't have a criminal history and my bond's $2,500 cash for a 93 day misdemeanor which most guys get maximum 500 or a PR bond, you know? Yeah. So the lady's like $2,500. Like, okay, bitch, go get my fucking credit card and heat that fucker up. I want out of here, you know? So they do. It takes another 45 minutes. They give me my property. I go into my property and my police ID and my badge are gone. I'm like, where the fuck's my police shit? Oh, your department came and got that. He came to the jail and took my fucking badge and ID out of my property. So that was like, ouch, man, you know, um, that, that was like, <laughs> I was already down, man, you know, on the ground and then they kicked me in the fucking teeth, you know? So I get out of jail, I call Trent, he comes and gets me, I buy a fucking shit of whiskey. I drank that fucker pretty fast. And um, I couldn't go home, you know, because I had uh, so you, you, no, with the domestic, you got no contact order on your bond. Yeah. Got no contact order, you know, protection order. I couldn't even talk to my wife or talk to my kids. You know, they isolated me when I needed them the most. And, um, you know, so I bounced around on some couches for a couple of days. Um, I stayed in a hotel for a couple nights. Um, I went to a, one of the guys that worked for me him and his wife took me in and I was sleeping in their basement. And he told me, he said, you can stay. His wife was pregnant at the time. You know, I felt like a fucking asshole imposing on that, but I just didn't have nowhere else to go. And he's like, but no drinking, you know? And I said, no problem. And that was hard, you know, because I was fucking, I drank every day. Yeah. You're a full blown alcoholic at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I started going through DTs at their house and um, they went to work one morning. I, I call, I decided, fuck it. I, I went online and I found a first responder treatment program. I called and this lady answers and she fucking, she was great, man. She, her dad was a Detroit cop retired and, she had nothing but, you know, empathy for me. And, um, they were, they were hard. They got me on a flight that fucking day. I was on a flight to Fort Lauderdale and, um, I went down there to this place called uh, recovery first, but they had a vet, uh, first responder program. And 
So, um, you know, my father-in-law, he drops me off at the airport in South Bend, Indiana and wave goodbye, you know, um, didn't get to see my, well, I take that back. I did stop at the house and see my family before I left because I didn't give a fuck if they arrested me for it or not. I was going to see them before I did this because I wanted them to know that I was doing this for us, you know? And, um, so I went on my way and, you know, I drank the whole way there. By the time I got to rehab, I was over at two. Um, and they fucking, you know, processed me, put me in a room. I passed out. And then, you know, I'm sitting. They had two facilities. They had the intake facility and they had the residential facility where you go for your treatment and shit. So I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the, um, receiving facility. And so I'm out there, all these fucking meth heads and, you know, heroin addicts and shit puking on themselves. And, uh, I go out to the, there's like a kitchen area where TV and people can kind of sit and I'm out there getting a cup of coffee and this fucking meth head, man, he's like on me. He fucking gets him. He's like, who the fuck are you? Blah, blah, blah. In my face. You look like a cop. And there was another guy that was in there from another County in Michigan. So I'm like, damn, there must be a problem with Michigan cops and alcoholism. So, <laughs> Um, so finally this guy wouldn't leave me alone. I'm like, listen, motherfucker. I fucking flashed on him. I said, if you don't fucking leave me alone, I'm going to throw you off this fucking balcony out here. Cause we were up on the second floor of this building and there's a balcony out to the parking lot. So when I got to, when I got to the inpatient thing, they had me flagged as like combative. Wow. <laughs> so, which is what, you know, I was man. I, you know, I was aggressive and, you know, the first uh, two days there, I DT'd so bad. They had me on benzodiazepine. My heart rate was fucking all over the place. My blood pressure was through the roof. Um, and um, it was bad, man. You know, I was sick. And um, I wouldn't wish that on my worst fucking enemy. Um, the, the Just going through that, that withdrawal and... And alcohol withdrawals are worse than anything else, man. It's the most dangerous withdrawal that you can go through. Um, worse than heroin, worse than um, anything else, because it can uh, cause seizures and it can cause, you know, if you have a seizure, it can kill you. So, um, but I made it through that. And, you know, I had a solid guy, Danny, what was his name? Um, his brother was a Navy SEAL. And, um, Danny was, you know, uh, in therapy, he was a therapist, but he was the best therapist I could have got, man, you know, because he, he didn't let me, you know, um, slide on shit. And so I did my time. I did 30 days in rehab. We had this fucking guy. We had our first responder group. It's uh, he was a cop and was a black dude from Trinidad and, so he, he introduces himself and he's telling us about his story and he's in recovery too. Well, he was a corrupt ass cop in Trinidad. He was like fucking running dope and stealing money and Jesus. you know all this shit, you know? So he, it was funny, man. His story was amazing, but you know, I believed it a hundred percent because you know, why would you admit to that shit? Um, so, you know, I got out, I did, I completed my program successfully. Um, I flew back to Michigan I still had a no contact order. So I uh, stayed at my in-laws um, until I was able to go to 
um, my arraignment and have that lifted. So um, I'm back from rehab that fucking day. My chief's calling me. You need to come down for an interview. You need to come down for an interview. You know, fuck you, man. I'm not coming down for a fucking interview right now. I got other shit going on. And he was just pushing this thing. He wanted to fast track it. And, you know, I heard from people after the fact that he'd been, you know, he need, we, I want to fire him today. I want to fire him today. And, you know, they're like, no, the HR and those guys are like, no, you know, he's, he's not, we're not going to fire him yet. And so I was still, I was on admin leave paid for two months and, you know, I went to my arraignment. I had a judge who was an ex trooper. So I'm fucked because the case is a state police case and the prosecutor, the assistant prosecutor, um, was trying to tack on OWI and all this other shit. And, um, I said, or the judge asked me about that. And I said, well, you know, he could charge me with OWI, but you got no chemical tests. You got no SFSTs. You got no case, you know, we got a PVT at the jail. Yeah. My PVT at the jail was a 0.08 motherfucker. You know, you gotta charge me with that. So. No, we're going to stick to my saw you driving. Oh, man, if I if they had got me driving, I'd have had OWI, uh, possession of a firearm while intoxicated, and domestic violence. I would have had three cases. So they would have had me by the balls, and I would have had to fucking plea, you know. Um, and that was the goal the whole time. They wanted me to plea. They wanted me to plea. This went on for a fucking year. I hired an attorney. You know, he didn't want to, you know, I had this attorney. I fucking threw 20 grand at this guy. You know, it cost me $20,000 to defend myself on a fucking domestic violence charge. And they just wouldn't drop it, wouldn't drop it. And um, finally, we're, you know, we got towards, we were getting close to trial. And my attorney's like trying to pressure me too, you know, because he's just another lawyer. You know, they're all fucking lawyers. They're all in it together. And, he wants to do what's good. He wants to make the judge happy. So the judge likes him and he has an easy time in court with his cases. So it's, it's all bullshit, you know? So I told my fucking attorney, I said, first of all, let me tell you something. You work for me. And second of all, I will never take a fucking plea. You can tell that to the prosecutor. If he wants to fucking convict me, he's going to have to get 12 people to say that I'm guilty. So this continues to go on. Um, prosecutor they sent they sent a subpoena for court um christmas eve they sent this trooper out to my house on christmas eve to subpoena my fucking oldest son and my wife you know on christmas eve they can't make make her testify against you being married right exactly so the trooper was, you know, there was one trooper in this whole scenario that was against everything. You know, he's like, you're really going to do this to this guy. You know, he's got fucking PTSD. Um, we don't do this to P- to vets. They got PTSD. Why are we going to do it to one of our own people? You know? And so he was the one that showed up for the subpoena and they promoted the guy that arrested me. He got his little fucking, you know, he got his little feather in his cap for locking a cop up. Um, but he's like, yeah, I don't want to be here, but they're making me do it. You know how that is. I was like, yeah, I don't, there's, I had no bad feelings against the guy. I said, Merry Christmas, you know? So I go on, we're going on, we're going on. And finally, um, 
you know, I was trying, my wife wanted to go in and talk to the prosecutor. She talked to the victim's advocate. She wrote a letter, you know, they had all my records from, uh, rehab. You know, I took it upon myself to get treatment and stop drinking. That was the last, the last time I drank was March 15th of 2019. I've been sober ever since. And none of that was good enough, you know, and that would have been good enough for anybody. So that, that proved to me that this wasn't about, you know, the prosecutors in there. Well, you know, victims come in and they lie for the offender. Our job is to, is to protect the victim, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. You guys don't ever do that shit. Okay. You, you forgot who you're talking to. I know you motherfucker. I've seen the cases <laughs> that you fucking shit can, you know, I mean, I had a domestic one time, the same prosecutor, this lady calls 911. She got a fucking disabled husband. And she tells the 911 operator on a recorded line that she threw her husband down the stairs and kicked him in the back several times. You need to send an ambulance. He's hurt. That's a slam dunk, man. Excited utterance. She said it on a recorded line. That's an easy fucking domestic, you know? Yeah. I submitted it. They fucking kicked it. Oh, it's he said, she said, you know? Oh, it's he said, she said, huh? Even though you had the fucking 911 tape, you know? <laughs> So don't tell me that you you never dismiss domestics, motherfucker, because I've seen you not charge domestics that are good good domestics. So, um, so then they wouldn't let the my attorney didn't want my wife talking to the prosecutor. He thought she was you know against me for whatever reason. I kept telling him that it wasn't that it wasn't that way, and you know she still carries a lot of guilt from that night from call for calling. You know she's she told me she's like I called him because I I thought. You know, those are the those are the only people that are going to help you. Are pe- those your people? And so I called them, and she would have been right if the county had showed up. If the county had showed up, it would have went differently. But it was the state, so um, so I hire another attorney to pay him twenty five hundred dollars to go in with my my wife, Kristen. Um, to speak with the prosecutor because she doesn't trust the prosecutor now. She doesn't trust. Um, the state police because she had told them all the things about what had happened, told them there was no assault, told them that I was sick. This is all, you know, uh, when we, when we floated the body cam footage, they couldn't find any of it. They couldn't find the footage from my house. You're ta- you're telling me that four or five troopers were at my, another cop's house on a domestic and they didn't have their fucking body cams on bullshit, you know? And they couldn't find the, the, the footage from when I told the trooper and asked for help, you know, because that, that all that shit would have made them look bad. And so I hire this fucking hard hitting attorney from Kalamazoo. Um, he goes in with my wife and the prosecutor's like, well, well what are you doing here, Don? You know, the attorney because I'm here representing, uh, my client. Well, I'm her, I'm her attorney. He goes, well, apparently she doesn't trust you. So I'm here. Well, Don got involved and within five days, the case was dismissed because they didn't want to go in front of a jury and not only have me, you know, tell them that I asked for help, but have my wife tell them that she, that she called because she wanted me to get help, not because she had been assaulted. And, um, so the case got dismissed, but in the meantime, you know, during that time, um, July of 19, I was called by, you know, I had, first I had to go down and do all this bullshit interviews. You know, they called, I was working for a tribal police department. So we were under federal, um, purview. We were federal officers to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. 
Um, and then we were state certified, you know, in Michigan. So, um, they send this DIA agent from fucking Oklahoma and, you know, I already know how this is going to go. I, I went down with my attorney and, uh, met with this guy, he did his interview at the police department. And as soon as he starts talking to me, I know this is, this is just him, you know, crossing his T's and dotting his eyes for the chief so they can fire me. So he's going in, he's he basically saying, you know, you, so you, did you sign this? He shows me my oath of office. And I'm like, yep. So in there, it says that you will maintain your life and uh, keep it from being unsullied, all this bullshit. I'm like, yeah, it says that. So do you think you've done that? And I said, I didn't answer. I just looked at him. And I said, I didn't do, I didn't commit any domestic violence. He goes, but you admitted that you pulled your wife out of the car. I said, yeah, I did admit that because it wasn't an assault, you know, and you still have to have, you have to have mens rea actus rea motherfucker, a guilty mind and a guilty intent, you know, guilty intent and a guilty act. Well, in Michigan, you don't have to have that, blah, 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 domestic assistant, man. I said, you're going to tell me about Michigan law? I said, let me tell you some of the difference between an assault and battery and an incidental contact, okay? So if I was if I was walking down the hall and you don't like me and I don't like you and I accidentally bumped into you and you didn't like that, but you couldn't really charge me with assault and battery because it was an accident, right? It was incidental. But if I reached across this countertop and smacked you across the fucking face, now you have a case. And he's like, are you threatening me? I said, I'm just making a statement, man. So that, that went to shit. You know, I told the department when I got diagnosed, I was diagnosed with PTS, uh, chronic PTSD. So cumulative, uh, unspecified. So it's not like, oh, I had a car accident. Now I got PTSD. I got a 20 years of fucking PTSD, you know. Um, my whole career wasn't PTSD, but there was enough of it that was. And so, um, it didn't matter. Uh, July rolls around of 19. They call me in and they fire me. They try to get me to resign. And the HR lady sent me an email, you know, saying, Hey, you know, um, she was a good lady. Uh, um, she, she was trying to help me and she wasn't, she wasn't down with what was going on. And she ultimately got fired later after, after I was for some, for something else, but I don't know if it was connected to her helping me out or not, but she was trying to get me, you know, Hey, maybe you should resign, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking resigning. If he wants to be gone, he's going to have to fire me. So he did, um, called me in on a Tuesday. You know, I just had sh- uh, a hip surgery cause I was scheduled for hip surgery before all this shit happened. So I had my hip surgery. I was off. I had been leave. And, you know, he told me you're fired. And I said, can I ask why I'm fired? Because at the time they fired me, my case was still pending. And he said, well, you're on family medical leave and you've exhausted your FML and you weren't able to return to work. I'm like, really? Cause I never got a return to work date. And he looks at me. I said, cause that's how that fucking works. If you want me to come back to work, you have to say you're ordered to come back to work on this date. And then if I fail to show up or I'm failed to be cleared by my doctor to show up, then you could fire me. So you did it backwards, asshole, you know? didn't matter i was gone you know i tried to pursue it you know i was i was very litigious after that i wanted fucking people to pay i was angry it set me back a lot man you know because i stayed sober through all this shit which is amazing 
um, cause I was going to regular meetings. I got a sponsor. I did everything they told me to do at rehab, you know, cause I wanted to, I didn't want to just, um, get sober for myself. I wanted to do it, you know, for my family. And I stayed that way, um, ever since, but, you know, I went through a lot of shit and they set me back, you know, pretty far on my recovery from the mental health stuff, you know? Oh, um, imagine that. <clears throat> yeah. And the judge was against me, man. You know, we were going through our, our evidentiary hearings and shit. And, you know, the Miranda issue comes up because they they did have the audio of me telling them the story about what happened. And that's what they want. That's all they wanted, you know, the jury to hear. So my attorney is like, well, he gets the trooper up on the stand. And our first they had Gerald on the stand, my buddy. And they're like, so. Tell, tell us about what happened, blah, blah, blah. He tells the story, and he's like, so you, you met up with uh, with Jim, and 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 then you um, you uh, detained him for the state police. He's like, no, I took him into custody. Because they were trying to separate me being taken into custody and being questioned by the state police. They were trying to say, they were trying to use this roadside interview bullshit. And... So my, my buddy's like, you know, he's, he's not telling a lie. He's telling the truth. He's like, no, they put out a BOL for arrest, PC for arrest. I, he, I talk, called him, talked to him. I went and got him. He turned himself into me. He was under arrest. So my attorney crosses there. So he's like, if he had to try to run away, what would you have done? He goes, I would have had to stop him. You know, yes, the troopers, the same thing. Because they were like, oh, he wasn't in custody. He wasn't in custody. Cause we had made the argument that the Miranda statement, you know, the Miranda rules were never read. And anything that I said before that wasn't admissible. So the troopers out there fucking trying to, you know, tow the company line and, um, fucking my attorney hits him. He's like, so if you, what if he had resisted or decided he didn't want to talk to you and just started walking away? Well, I would have stopped. And what if he had fought? Then I would have had to tease him and all this other shit. So he wasn't free to leave, you know? So that road, the fucking judge, he's like, oh, well, you were a cop for, you know, 20 or 20 years at the time. You know your Miranda rights. I'm allowing it. Well, I filed an appeal to the fucking um, head judge there, the uh, chief justice. And she reversed his decision and called him erroneous in his decision because <laughs> there is no cop exception to Miranda. You know, there's no. I watched a lot of law and order exception to Miranda. There's no lawyer exception to Miranda. Miranda is to be read. Um, so that's a whole rush shit. You know, I, I, they fired me, uh, put me in the soup line, you know, me and my family. Um, and, you know, it's taken me about four years now to, to fully recover. You know, I didn't go back to work doing anything until a few months ago. And, um, you know, that's just some bullshit job that I'm doing for a buddy of mine just so I can make some extra money because, you know, it's just we're not making the kind of money I was making when I was working as a cop. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you really learn who your friends are through all this shit. You know, I have maybe five or six guys that stayed in contact with me the whole time and still do to this day. And those guys are my brothers, you know. Um, I don't fault the other guys for not, you know keeping up with me everybody's got their own shit going on but i did for a long time you know i felt i felt slighted you know i felt betrayed and so now um you know i got my security license uh last year and i'm working with an old partner of mine and we just got a security contract 
working um, night security. So, you know, I'm trying to get that going. And, you know, uh, I miss being a cop, man. But but being a cop like I was isn't it isn't there anymore. It doesn't exist. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm good with uh, being done. You know, I'm not I'm not. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not bitter anymore. You know, I was bitter for a long time. I, pl- I was planning people's fucking assassinations. You know, I was um, running all these fucked up scenarios in my head and I had to, I had to let that shit go, man. You know, holding that grudge was like drinking poison and expecting all those assholes to die from it. And the only person I was hurting was me and my family, you know? So I'm better as a result. I, you know, I believe that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. And I still think I'm a better cop than most of the guys that I worked for in my career. Um, but you know, that chapter of my life's done. So that's it, man. That's, that's kind of my story. Well, we're all glad that you did. Didn't kill yourself. Yeah, me too. And I'm sure your uh, your wife and kids are happy about it. Oh yeah, they're definitely happy, man. It's you know, life is so much you know better. Even though we're poor now, we're poor now. You know, we're poor. Um, we we live uh, paycheck to paycheck. You know, I make enough money. Let me say this: when y'all first got together, y'all were younger couple, right? Mm -hmm. So you're probably living. I know when I first got in this job. I used to live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So it's really not no different than like when you first started this job. Right. And money makes things easier, but it's not going to make you happy. No, it doesn't make you happy. And, you know, that we're learning that lesson. You know, I think God's teaching me some things that I need to learn. And, you know, I'm better as a result of it. I think God was there. Um, I think that happened to prevent something worse from happening later, you know, like me being drunk behind the wheel and getting into a fatal car accident and killing somebody, you know, or killing one of my kids in a fatal car accident or, you know, getting killed at work, you know, whatever was, whatever was coming my way, you know, God stepped in the way and said, all right, motherfucker, you're not going to like this. It's going to sting a little bit, but you're going to come out on the other side as a better person as a result. Yeah. Yeah. You know, worked out. So, like I said, and you went and got help for the alcoholism, which a lot of cops, hey, I got friends uh, that, you know, were alcoholics and ended up having to, you know, go to AA. I don't know if if someone went to rehab or not, but, uh, hey, got a buddy of mine. He's been sober for over 20 years now and i got more That's respect awesome. more respect for them because it's a whole lot harder to do that than it's not it is man and you know i'll fall like i still go out with guys you know i went out to lunch with a friend of mine high school buddy i hadn't seen in a long time and and we sat down to eat and he we, guy comes for drinks and and he's looking at me because i ordered a coke and I was like, dude, order a beer, man. I don't give a fuck. It doesn't bother me. You know, I've got four years between me and my last drink. I got, I know what alcohol turned me into, and I don't ever want to be that guy again, you know? And so if that means I don't drink, that's fine. But that doesn't mean he doesn't, he can't drink. You know, he's not a fucking alcoholic. Maybe he is an alcoholic, but that's not for me to decide. That's his decision, you know? <laughs> well, I was around some, like my wife one time, she's like, the, 
they were a recovering alcoholic, you know, we shouldn't, you shouldn't drink around him. Like, uh, first of all, he's been in recovery for a while. And second of all, they're in a place that serves alcohol. So. Right. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild ride, man. You know, um, and the, and the worst parts of my PTSD when I was that, the worst off that I was, I was hallucinating shit. You know, I was seeing shit that wasn't there. I was hearing things that weren't there. Um, I would zone out and stare at a blank television for hours. You know, my family, what are you doing watching the show? You know, I'm not doing watching shit. I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> um, I remember one of the last fucking shitty calls I went on. We got sent to a kid that drowned in a pool at a fucking 4th of July party where a bunch of adults were out there drinking. Everybody's in the pool and nobody noticed this kid in distress and uh, he's at the bottom, you know? So yeah, you kind of wondered like, how it even happens. Yeah. What the fuck, man? So I'm pissed off already and he died. You know, the kid was, he, we tried to fucking uh, bring him back and he didn't make it. And they loaded him up on the fucking ambulance on the stretcher and, when I was walking back to my squad car, I could have swore I looked back in to just kind of see what was going on in the ambulance. And he was sitting up looking at me and I, you know, I shook my head and then it fucking went away. But you know, it was scary, man. Like all I can say is people don't, get, you know, I used to think PTSD is for pussies. That's for people who can't take it, you know, fucking suck it up, rub some dirt on. That's the kind of shit that I was told, you know, my whole life, not even as a cop just as a fucking man you know yep and um, well my generation was raised up like that nowadays it's mm -hmm. it's not like that right you know but you know my therapist told me this he said you know i told him i felt like i was weak and he goes you didn't get sick because you're weak you got sick because you cared too much and i believe that you know i believe that i cared too much i cared about my people i cared about the job I did, I cared about the people that I was serving. And when I saw th bad things happen to those people, it affected me, you know? Yeah. Well, I had a, yesterday, when I was in the store, uh, buying some stuff to cook for supper for the next few days. Uh, mm -hmm. so, young girl, I was in, I stopped on my way home from work, so I was in uniform. A little young girl, uh, she asked me, she's like, she asked me, well, what's, uh, basically, what was, you know, what, what what cop story you, you know sticks out the most to you and stuff like that? And I'm like, I've been doing something for 30 years. I just can't, you know, spout that out. I mean, right. And she asked me another one, an exciting one. I and I looked at her. I said, Look, if you want to hear a lot of my stories, you just just go listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and it was weird because her dad. She's like, You have a podcast? I'm like, Yeah. She's like, My dad has a podcast, and it was actually. The daughter of one of these of the band of podcasts right here is actually a big podcast. I mean, they do live shows and shit. Um, like like sell tickets. Really? Like on stage? Yeah. So. Damn. I said okay. So, but yeah, but it's like I'm just gonna listen because I noticed. Uh, you know, everybody knows I don't talk about it much. I'm, you know, but you know, I, I have stories, people that uh, one day I will tell y'all about in detail. <laughs> that's not that's not great uh the shit that i saw and, and have been through and uh it's like you carry as long longer the longer you do this job the more shit 
you will carry around is baggage. Yep. Uh, it's just, yep. it's just it's, I could, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, there's certain things you know, I could be watching a, a TV show, more or less, more like a first spotter show or something like that, and either they'll say something or something will happen on there, and you know. I don't, I don't like that word, but I can't say it's not triggering to me, but I, it's like... Oh, yeah. It just, it brings back stuff It's like that I hadn't thought about maybe in a very long time because I buried it down. And it can just yeah. be, it can be something just totally stupid that can, that'll, that'll trigger something off in my memory that's like, you know, something that I don't want to remember. So, I'm sure I have a slight touch of... uh post-traumatic stress i never even got that i think we all i think you, i don't think you can go through this job and not you know um but it affects you know it, it kind of it can come out in different it comes out in different ways man it manifests itself in different ways on a case-by-case basis you know i i had a buddy kill himself last year um i used to work with him on the east side and um he went to work one day kissed his wife fucking he was working for the sheriff's department over there and went to a park and fucking blew his brains out in the car with a service weapon. Oh, you, you, I mean, I know so, this, I, I've had friends, you know, some of them weren't in law enforcement, killed themselves, and uh, I was like, yeah, like I had one of my like one of my best friends. It was a girl, and she uh, she killed herself. You know, Jeez, that's terrible. And it's, uh, shot herself in the head. She wasn't a cop. You know, yeah. You know how I many, like, I, I, they don't live there anymore, but when I go to town, I have to drive past the house that my best friend blew her brains out in. Mm-hmm. So every time I see that house, I think about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, took a long yeah. time. At first, at first, I mean, I was upset. Then I was extremely, extremely mad at her. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then, then the questions start, you know. Cause she, I don't think she left. She didn't leave no note, uh, and just then you start questioning yourself. What did I right. miss? What did I miss? What did I didn't see? What should I have done? Why? Yeah, exactly. You get that survivor's guilt. You know? Why? Why didn't they come? Why didn't she come talk to me? I mean, just yeah. people don't realize. Anybody out there? Hopefully, they might listen to me. If you're ever thinking about committing suicide. There's helplines or call if you call call a relative, call like a friend, uh, yep. call somebody and talk to them because if you kill yourself, you think your problems may be over or whatever yep, your you pain. Just, but you know what? Think about the, the people you're leaving behind: a spouse, a girlfriend, your mom, your your dad, your kids, nephew, mm-hmm. all these people you leave behind. It gets, and trust me, I know you're thinking, well, they're better off without me, blah, blah. That's not true. I guarantee you, you talk to anybody in your own family, even if you don't get along with them. They're not going right. to, they don't want you. They might say it or something sometimes, but in, in God's yep. truth, they, they would rather you be around. So, yeah. Like I said, I got, I had talked to them people with cop line before. I always put it in the description. So if you're in law enforcement, you know, you feel like you need to talk, you can call them. They got copline.org, you know. They yep. say all, all the uh, all the phone lines are answered by retired police officers, so if you're in law enforcement or first responder, I'm pretty sure uh, 
people that's that's been through you know that's been behind the badge had it on their chest and stuff like that so they can might understand you more yep. than a civilian may so and of course that yep. that phone number will be in the description on here too if anybody has it so another place good too is iceman is uh blue help they have a it's a east coast organization but um blue help is another one that i've seen um that does the same thing as cop line well anybody like i said even civilians call somebody yeah i tell i tell my friends stuff hey you feel like it i don't care call me or text me i don't care what time it is tonight that yep i'll i will come and wherever you wherever you fucking are i will come there you know and people that are in law enforcement and and y'all know it's true and i've seen it if you see one of your friends or your co-workers struggling or acting different than they're normal you know what i'm talking about not just because they're mm-hmm. right me just anything you, you're noticing a change in something that's not on the best side you ain't got to go report them at first, why don't you go talk to them? Yeah. Feel them out a little bit. Because the stigma is in law enforcement. Like I said, once you get that rubber stamp or you get something like that, you get shunned by all the other cops. Yep. So yep. instead of the people that should be looking out for each other, they, they a lot of times they don't when it comes to a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I think people, you know, I think it's human nature, man. They see something in somebody that they may be afraid that might happen to them and they want to distance themselves from it. You know, it's like leaving, like it's like leaving a wounded, like you're in a pack and you get wounded. So they leave, they, yeah. just, they just leave you behind because you're making the yeah. pack weaker now. Or they even, or they wound you <laughs> to leave you behind. Oh, yeah. Or, or they wound you to, because, you know, they, they, they want your position or something like that. Uh, right. Yeah. But but don't yep. but don't show them. And, and if you're check on your retirees, if you were friends with with somebody that retired from the from the job, yeah, go, I'm why, why don't you call and check on him? I got a buddy of mine; he's retired, and about four four or five of us still talk to him, and he'll tell you because yep. I, I mean everybody screams about the brotherhood. Once you retire, once you're not in this job no more, it's like you never were there. Right. It's like fucking within a year, man. I mean, now, like, I'll, I'll go out there and see guys driving around in squad cars. I don't even know what the fuck they are. I used to know everybody. I used to know every fucking guy in the squad car. I knew who they were, knew their first name, you know? Yeah, I mean, it used to be, it used to be like that. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, you used to know everybody. Hell, I've been. Yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot of people that work in my old department at all anymore. And you know what? You know, as many people, you know, I've said it before, there's a job. If you put mm-hmm. that, if you put, don't care what kind of first responder you are, it's, it's a job. And yep, it's a job. It's not, it's it's not your life. Because that bullshit they tell people where uh, being a cop is something that you are, not something that you do. That's true, but it also is. It can't be true, you know, because you can't be a cop all the time, man. No, you gotta have your fucking private life, you, you know. But you have to. Don't 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 neglect your family. Right for this job, yep. which I I was I was guilty of it. I was too, man. I was guilty of it, because you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I tell everybody listening, everybody can think what they want to think, hate me, disagree with me. Uh, write me email if you do. Uh, <laughs> once you're gone, once you're gone, like I said, from the job, you're not there. You you you, you know, I've seen guys thinking they're they're you know 
and I know they might say it, but just thinking, it, yeah, they'll remember my name forever around here. Well, guess what? The next batch of recruits that come out and start and start new the FTOs and the new mm-hmm. the new boots, and you're not there, they don't know who you are. Yeah, we had 200 guys in Pontiac. The only name I remember from the past was Gerald Carpenter, and that's because he was killed in the line of duty in 1977. Yeah, I mean, I remember some of the old guys and stuff like that. But, but you know, these new guys, I mean, they, I mean, I was one of the founding members of the SRT team in the department. I wanted a, oh, okay. I wanted founding members of the motor division in the department. Yeah. I'm the one that, you know, went and did all the stuff. I'm the reason they got Freeze Plus P back in the day and stuff like that. You think any of these little young guys know that or know? They don't know. No. Nobody cares. They don't I, know. I didn't build yeah. no no. You know, you think you, you're building some legacy that's going to live a lifetime. Uh, your legacy and name is going to be with your family and your kids and your right. grandkids, not with a police department. No. Or a sheriff's no, office. Kids. Once you're gone, yep. you're just a memory. And a very, in a, you're a, a very slight memory, if you're lucky. Right. So. Yep. So. Not trying to be all dr- dismal, people. I'm just saying it how it is. I, I hate seeing these young cops. Uh my wife like got aggravated with me today. Uh, me, me and Sarge here were supposed to record earlier, and I, I said, I go to, "You tell me I'm a, you tell I'm old, and, and I'm still from the country." Because I said, "Look, I'm, when I say I'm going to town, so, <laughs> I'm going to town. Yeah, we're going to town." But uh, yeah. I had to, of course, you know, I need a new belt for my lawnmower, which I had to order because I couldn't find it anywhere. But uh, yeah, we stopped good. and eat. We stopped to eat. We stopped and ate, and uh. This Mexican place we really like, and we're sitting there. She's telling me something that happened at work. Well, these people came in. Oh, excuse me, it was three mm-hmm. three guys and a girl. Then we're at the front door, and and she got she's like, "You're not on duty, stop." She's like, "What are you looking at?" The, the, the way they were acting and the way they were in and out the door stuff is if something wasn't sitting right with me. So I'm watching them. <laughs> You know, because they might, they just, I didn't like how they were acting. So I'm watching them. Yeah. Make, I mean, they were probably just people just stupid or on dope. But I mean, I'm watching to make sure they ain't getting right robbed the place with me sitting here or, or whatever, you know. And she's like, Yeah. She's like, said something. I said, No. She said, well, What would you do? I said, Well, if they pulled out guns and started shooting, I said, I'd jump on top of you so I'd get shot and not you. You didn't have to do that. I said, I know I don't have to. I said, I but would. I mean, I said, I am. That's what I'm going to do. But yeah, got, damn right. She got aggravated because she's like, I, I saw. She's like, I said, I, I can't help it because if they would have been acting normal, I wouldn't. They wouldn't have caught my. They'd have caught my attention for a second. Yeah, and, and then you know I'd have been back, but they were acting. They were acting weird to me. So. Oh, these guys, these new guys, man, they don't pick up on that shit. They ignore it, and that's our job is to get par- be paranoid about shit and and notice things that are different. You know, yeah. I remember I was like we were at a stop and this guy had these backpacks and shit. So he's got the bag set on the side of the road. And this other, this young guy I'm working with, he says, uh, you got some ID. So the guy's like, yeah, he goes to go in the backpack. So I'm like, no, don't go in that bag. Well, he goes more aggressively to open it. So I pulled my weapon and I fucking aimed in on his head. And I said, get the fuck away from that bag. And after the fact, I told my fucking rookie, I said, that's how you fucking die in this job. Is that kind of shit right there? Well, yeah, but they're so. Like I said, I pulled my gun not too long ago on a guy. 
mm-hmm. while I was on my motorcycle. <laughs> Still yeah, moving, part- you know. I mean, yep. and it's like, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, I've been in training to be able to do that. But uh, it's like, uh, so I found a lot of these rookie guys, they, they're way scared to pull that. They, they're scared to clear leather on that firearm. I know. No, they'll pull that taser out on you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Let me tell you what, I don't even carry my taser. Because if I feel like I need to point something at you at that point, right? I'm not, you know, because I've seen I'm preaching again, but I've seen too many rookie cops rely on a taser way too much. Yeah, that fucking taser is—it's a tool. It's not—it's not 100 percent even, you know. So somebody, somebody, you somebody pulls out a knife. I'm not pulling out a taser. I'm pulling my gun out. You pull out a—you pull out a, a baseball bat. You pull out anything that you can hurt me with. It doesn't turn into a deadly use of force yeah. for me. I'm not, gonna, force, I'm no. not pussyfooting yep. around with you. If, nope. And if I look at you and say, you need to get out the car or I'm going to spray you, you're like, man, fuck you. And you keep going and doing this. You, know, you need to get out of the car or I'm going to spray you. Mm-hmm. That's number two. Yep. Now, a little bit later, and I tell you that third time, I'm going to tell you, if you don't get out of the car right now, I'm going to spray you. Yep. And... Right after that, if they don't move, they're just getting sprayed. Yeah, that's it. I watched these uh, videos the other day. Uh, <laughs> I swear to God, I should, this cop must have told this person to to giving them commands, or they were going to tase them at least thirty two times. <laughs> okay, that was thirty times too many. Yeah, damn right. Thirty times too many. I mean. After after about ten, the person's like, "Yeah, they just they just run in their mouth." I mean, they, it, that mean, actions speak louder than words. Damn right. So, all right, I'm starting to preach on it. Look, I totally don't don't hang up either. I'm going to do the outro. Okay. I totally totally appreciate it. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I don't say I enjoyed it. Uh, you, you had my attention the whole time mm-hmm. listening to your story and. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it because, you know, talking about, you know, what happened and what you went through and, and like I said, the mistakes you made and stuff with the alcohol mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that takes a lot. Yeah. You know, so yep. I appreciate it immensely and uh, I hope the listeners appreciate it because how many of y'all would uh, admit to all the stuff he admitted to, and, but get your life straight and uh, move on. So I mm-hmm. so appreciate it. And everybody, Thanks, man. appreciate it, man. Everybody, uh, I'm putting this out uh, tomorrow. Uh, so I'm probably gonna put out some more, but if not, uh, y'all have a happy Fourth of July and be safe. Uh, remember, uh, let the let the drunk people pop the fireworks. It's more entertaining. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, remember, uh, we're not sheep dogs, we're lions, and we're gonna protect our pride. And uh, y'all be safe. Watch your back. I'ma stack bricks up, build what I want to make. Yo, I got a lot of shit to say, so I'ma do this every day. I'll be writing things until I'm.